have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with the 57th verse. You find your way there this morning. Stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Verse 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, we thank you, Lord, that because of Jesus Christ coming to earth some 2,000 years ago, dying upon that cross but raising, rising on the third day, Father, we realize, Lord, that we have victory. Jesus gave us victory over the greatest enemy, Father, death. So we have that resurrection power in our life, Father. And I pray today, in the name of Jesus Christ, Father, that every one of us would realize the riches that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. I, realize, I pray that we'd realize that we have that victory, Father, that we have the power of God living inside us. And, Father, that we'd live undefeated lives, Father. We'd live lives of victory, Father, loves of joy, loves of peace, Father, loves of power, lives of power. Father, we thank you now once again all these things in the precious, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you know, throughout the entire Bible, beginning in the Old Testament, we see God showing up and showing off. We see God showing people how to live in that victory. Remember when the Israelites left Egypt and they traveled partway across the desert? They didn't go the most direct route to the land of Canaan, the promised land. They went a kind of an indirect route so they'd get backed up against the Red Sea. God had a plan. And so they find themselves at the Red Sea, the shore of the Red Sea, and there's no way across. And then to make things worse, to compound the damages there, what shows up but the Egyptian army there wanting to slaughter them. So on one side, they're backed up against the Red Sea, and the other side, they got the nation of Israel's, the nation of Egypt's army heading down at them. They realize times are desperate. Moses talks to God, and you know what happens? He holds up his, his cane and puts it over the Red Sea, and God parts the water. God parts the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry land. The Egyptians followed him in across that ocean, into that sea, and God swallowed up in that sea. God parted the water for him. Think about Daniel. Daniel doing a good job for the uh, evil of the pagan Gentile king. But all of a sudden, the tide of popular opinion turned against him, and they had to throw him in the lion's den. But in the lion's den, you know, Daniel had the victory. Why? Because, Dan- because God was his shield. God protected Daniel from the lions in that lion den. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were worshiping God and not wanting to worship the pagan king, so they ended up getting thrown in the fire, the fiery furnace, it says, ten times the normal heat. The king went and looked in the fiery furnace, and what did he say? He didn't see just three people. He saw four. Jesus Christ was standing in the middle of that fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God showed up in a powerful way and gave those three men victory. God gave victory to Daniel. God gave victory to Moses in parting that Red Sea for him for the nation of Israel. Joshua, remember him? Took over leading the Israelites into the promised land from Moses. Crossed that Jordan River, and the first major obstacle they had was Jericho, a mighty city, but also had mighty warriors there. They had a formidable obstacle they had to get past and through. Before they made the first plan to take down the city of Jericho, you know what God told Joshua? He said, I've already given you the city and their mighty men of valor in that city. I've already given it to you. You already have the victory before you take the first step towards taking down that city. God has already given you and I the victory. I 
we need to do is claim it, believe in his word, realize that God has given you and I victory. You know, this world turns upside down in your life. When this world and the circumstances seem to be unbearable, they seem to be insurmountable. You know what God wants to do? Show off. He wants to show up in a powerful way in your life and give you the victory. Wherever God takes you, he's already given you the victory. Remember old David when he went out to face Goliath? I believe with all my heart before David put a first step into that valley to go face Goliath that God had already killed the giant. He was already dead. God had already given David the victory just like he'd already given Joshua the victory there at Jericho. God has already given you and I the victory. God's going to part the sea for us. God's going to be a shield in the midst of facing hard and difficult tasks or hard and difficult brutal experiences. He's going to deliver us from the fire. God uses the fire many times to grow us, to refine us, to be all that he wants us to be. God's also going to tear down the walls just like he did at Jericho. Thanks be to God who gives us an incredible victory. Why don't you turn with me to another scripture here, if you would, for just a moment, because I want to really understand the victory that God has given us. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. First John chapter 5, verse 4. <coughs> it says this, verse 4 of 1 John 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Because of faith in Jesus Christ, we have victory. We've already overcome the world. God has already given us the victory in this world. <clears throat> Who are the overcomers he's talking about? All believers are said here just by faith. We can be overcomers in this world by believing in Jesus Christ and accepting him as our own, by asking Jesus Christ to come live in our life. You know what we are? We become believers. But we also have victory. God has already helped us become and made us overcomers in this world. The world no longer needs to dictate our life. Circumstances no longer need to make us who we are. You know what needs to make us who we are? Our relationship with God. We don't need to let our circumstances define us. We need to let God define who we are and allow him to show us the victory in every single situation, no matter how hard. And I'm not minimizing those experiences. I've had hard experiences. You've had hard experiences. But God says, hey, I'm a bigger God. I want to do something marvelous in your life right now in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of some of the hardest times in your life. I was curious about that word overcomer, and I want you to listen to some of the definitions that the Greek offered to us. The original language. Overcomers means to conquer. It means to have victory. It means to have superiority. It means conquering power. Overcomers. You know, I love this part about the whole thought here, though, about being an overcomer. God is going to give you a demonstrable victory. Did you hear that? In the midst of our storm, God wants to give you a demonstrable victory. Why? So other people will see it. They'll see it in you. They'll see it. Hey, that person has this situation or that situation. That's, has this going on? Or they just lost this. They just found out about this. But look at the way they're carrying themselves. God wants to give us the victory in such a way as it's demonstrable, but also from the perspective of he wants, us to be, he wants it to be seen by other people. He wants other people to realize, man, that guy has God in their life, and it's easy to see because look at that. Look at how he's carrying himself and how he's living. God gives us always, listen very carefully, an overwhelming victory. It may not end up the way that you and I want it to, the way we hope it does, but you know what? He's going to give us victory in such a way that it's demonstrable. And I love that concept about being an overcomer. The essence, too, of having that victory, it says it right there in 
1 John 5, verse 4. The victory that the overcomer overcome has is because of our faith. Do I have enough faith to live in the victory? You know, a lot of times my faith isn't strong enough, so I live in defeat. I live in doubt. I live in fear. I live in desperation. God wants us to be desperate for him, but not desperate for the situation that we're in. God wants us to be desperate for him, and we're like that. You know what God does? He shows up, and he shows off. Thanks be to God who gives us victory. If you were to study the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, you're going to see that it's probably it is the most extensive chapter in all the Bible that talks about the resurrection. It's a great one to read. You want to kind of get reaffirmed about the resurrection? You want to understand it better? Read the whole 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. It tells us there that Christ is our only hope. It tells us that Christ has destroyed the last enemy. What is the final and last enemy? It's death. What is the biggest enemy we have in life? It's death. Many times we think that. Dying prematurely or dying before our wedding. But God has taken that enemy away. Oh, death, where is your sting? It says that in 1 Corinthians 15. Where is your sting? There's no more sting to death. Is it sad? Is it hard to say goodbye to loved ones? Absolutely. But for a believer, for a believer, there's no sting in death anymore because he's taken that away. He's conquered death. Listen very carefully. So have you and I. So have you and I. That's what he's talking about here, the victory that we have. Victory in Jesus. We're all going to be raised one day that are believers in God's glory. We're going to see and meet Jesus Christ face to face. God has given you and I an incredible gift. He's given us through Christmas and through the resurrection victory. I love this song. It's one of my favorite songs. You've heard it and sung it a million times. I was going to sing it this morning for you, but I can't because of my voice. I've heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save someone like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. Praise God that we have victory in Jesus Christ. You know, I was reflecting on the message for this week, for really the last two weeks here. I thought about you. I thought about some of the experiences some of you have been through in the past. Some of the hard times you've been through and some of the desperate situations you've been in before. My heart was touched because many of you have seen God walk, it through, walk through with you. I've seen the victory in your lives as you've gone through those hard times. I was thinking about people today that are going through hard times, this very day in our church, experiencing hard times and difficult situations and situations they weren't planning on. You know what? I was praising God again because I see victory in their lives and your lives as well. But how do we really, really claim that victory? You ever ponder that? God revealed to me a couple of very precious thoughts about how we claim that. And they all revolve around the Christmas story, the stories we've heard for so long. And have you ever really longed for something, longed for a treasure of something in your life so desperately that you couldn't get any sleep, you just couldn't rest because I'm desperate for this. I want to find this in my life. I want to find this situation or the solution to the problem. You know, many times some of us look for peace. We look for comfort. We look for truth. We look for joy. look for victory in the wrong places. You know, especially us men, you know, we kind of 
fisher kind of guys. We're lone rangers. Man, I can do it, and that's a good spirit to have. You know, but a lot of times we look there first, that I can fix this, and I believe I can solve it, or I can weather this. You know, we, we do weather life, but God wants us to weather life with victory and to work through it. The greatest treasure that you and I will ever, ever search for, you know who it is, it's Jesus Christ. It really is. You know, several thoughts about valuing that treasure. The value of any treasure is always, and don't miss this, in the eyes of the beholder. The value of any treasure is always in the eyes of the beholder. Which begs the question here in my life, to what degree, to what degree do I seek Christ in my life? It reveals to which level I value him. The level to which I seek Jesus Christ in my life directly corresponds to how much I value Jesus Christ in my life. And all of us sitting here this morning in a church singing Christmas songs say, man, I value more lost. But in the midst of life, in the midst of everyday situations, especially the hard situations, do I really value Jesus Christ? Usually when we face that brick wall, we face that major obstacle, we do value him right then because we need him. We realize we need him. You ever wonder what seeking Jesus looks like? This is one of those great stories in the Bible at Christmas time. Remember the wise men, the Magi? They were seeking the king, right? They were Gentiles. They weren't Jewish people. They weren't Israelites. They didn't believe in Jehovah. You know, they were students, though, of the Old Testament, the Scriptures. And they realized there's some prophecy here that I believe is coming true. And they sought the king. They wanted to see the Messiah if he was for real. Matthew 2 Verse 1 and 2 says a little story about the wise men. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. You know, as I mentioned a minute ago, the irony of this whole story is the fact that these were Gentiles. They were pagans. And they were looking for an Israelite king. And where did they go? And they went to Jerusalem of all places the center capital of Israel. They went there. But when they got there, you know what was so sad, the irony here? The Israelites, the Jews, weren't really looking for them. A couple of them knew about it, but they weren't looking for them. They weren't asking questions like the wise men, where is he, where is he? But the wise men were seeking Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear this this morning. The very first question that's asked in the New Testament is where is he? That is a question for all ages. That's a question for you and I today. Where is he? Where is Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never met Jesus Christ, and so you're here this morning kind of seeking. I want to find out about this Jesus because I've heard that I need him in my life. You're here not by accident. You're here by divine appointment because what a perfect day. Today is a day of salvation for you to receive Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize I haven't been that close to him. You know, I've kind of been away from Jesus Christ. I need to come back home. Jesus Christ is saying, come home, come home. One of the most beautiful pictures in the whole Bible is the prodigal son. Remember what happened when the son finally came home? The Bible says he came to himself, got up out of that pig pen, and went home. While he's still far way off, what did his dad do? He saw him. And his dad ran to him. I want to tell you, based on the promises of God and the Holy Spirit this morning, if you're here today and you haven't been close to all and you say, I'm going to come home, Dad, you know what he's going to do? He's going to open his arms and say, Welcome back. Welcome back, child. I've been missing you. I've been with you the whole time, but I haven't been missing you in our relationship. I've been missing that intimate time with you and I when we talk and we share and hear in your heart. And I'm so thankful that you're home. I'm so glad you're home. That's what God wants to say to us, coming home. Why do I know that? I want you to understand this. 
Where is he was the very first question in the New Testament. You know what the very first question was in the Old Testament? And this just absolutely boggles my mind. The very first question in the Old Testament was right after Adam and Eve sinned. They realized they're naked. They clothed themselves with leaves, ran and hid in the bushes. God came looking for them. What did he say? Where are you? Where are you? The very first question in the Bible sets the tone for the whole question. God asking you and I, where are you? Where are you? God wants us to be faithful. God wants to have this relationship. That's why he made Adam and Eve. So he can have a personal relationship with you and I. So the wise men, seeking what they know that the God of Jehovah, the Israel God had promised the coming of the Messiah, they came to Jerusalem and said, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? The question for you and I today is where is he? I want to connect these dots very easily for us here. If you're not experiencing and living in that victory in, the, in, the, in your life, maybe the question we need to ask this morning and you need to ask is, where is he? Where is my life right now? I'm going through the storm right now. I, my life is being battered about it like a little rowboat on a tempest storm in the middle of the ocean. And I need God. Where is he? And you know what he's going to say? I'm right here. I never left you nor forsake you. I'm not leaving you ever. When we think that God has moved in our life, we need to look in the mirror and realize who's moved. It's me. It's not God. He's always there. But am I holding on to him? Do I know where he's at? Where is he? Where is he now? Where is he this morning? Where is he at lunchtime? Where is he at night when I'm driving home? Where is he in my life, in my children's lives? Where is he? This morning, where is he? I need to find him. I will not rest until I see him. I will ask hundreds of questions if I have to, but I want to find Jesus Christ. I'll be relentless in my pursuit. God desires an intimate relationship with you and I. Where is he today in your life? Christmas cannot be bought, you know, as we celebrate Christmas here. Christmas can't be created. Christmas cannot be made by hand. It can't be lit up, can't be set up, or can't be dreamed up. Christmas can only be found. Where is he? Where is a king born of the Jews? I want you to hear this this morning, though. And some of you may, well, I tried, but I just didn't seem to feel in my life. There's one more aspect we're going to talk about in the morning, but in a minute. But when we seek Jesus Christ, we'll find him. Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and him who knocks, it will be opened. When we seek Jesus Christ, we'll find him. You know, as we find him, we need to understand who we are in him. I'm with Jesus Christ every day because I'm looking for him. Where's Jesus this morning? And I know that Jesus is part of my life. Jesus is the solution to my problems. Jesus also the answer to all my questions, but Jesus also is the joy of my salvation. How do we claim that victory? First of all, where's Jesus? Second of all, look at the second verse we read this morning in our, our theme text. It says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, <coughs> therefore, and the Bibles are connected. It means therefore because of what I just told you, because you just what you read, now this. Because you realize you have victory. That was the preceding verse. Praise God for the victory that have in Jesus Christ. That's a verse 57. Now 58 says, Therefore, because of the victory, do this, my beloved brethren. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The scripture here is telling us that because we have victory, we need to live in it. We need to work out our salvation. We need to serve the Lord Jesus Christ because of what we get. I want to think about this. The idea that God has given you that victory, wouldn't that move us all to say, hey, thank you, God. Now, what can I do to sustain this victory? What can I do to live inside this victory? Lord, what can I do to see bigger victories in my life and greater triumphs in my life? Therefore, because I've given you victory, be immovable, be steadfast, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let me ask you this. Does God show favor to certain people? Does God show favor to certain people? Maybe you've been looking around saying, hey, old Deacon Jones over there, man. <laughs> His life was blessed. I wonder why my, job, my life's not blessed like that. And, you know, as human beings and offering in fleshly bodies, sometimes we have an opportunity, unfortunately, sometimes an attitude a little bit to covet. But do you think God ever blesses or bestows favor on some people more than others? Isaiah 66, 2 says this. God speaking. For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will favor, on him who is poor and of a contrite heart, and who trembles at my word. Over and over in the Bible we see the word favor used. God has bestowed favor on us. God bestowed favor on many people in the Bible there. One person in particular, though, in Luke chapter 1, we see the word favor used to describe her three times. And you know who I'm talking about, Mary. The first two times come in verse 28 and verse 30 of chapter 3, or chapter 1 of Luke. This is the angel Gabriel saying this in verse 28. He says, Having come in, and the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Then verse 30, angel Gabriel again. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Then when Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the Baptist, John the Baptist had not been born yet, Elizabeth said this, and then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Favored are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Favored. Favored. Mary was favored. Mary is favored because of the life I believe she lived to that, and God knew her. Of all the people God chose, he chose her. Why? Because he wanted to favor her. And I, I don't want you to miss this this morning. This is huge. I looked up the definition in the Greek for favored of God. What does that mean? It means demonstrated delight. Demonstrated delight. When God favors us, you know what he does? He demonstrates his delight in us and around us. God desires to demonstrate his delight in us. What an awesome thought that God wants to demonstrate him in me. What does that mean? That I'm a vessel to bring glory to God. That's how I bring glory to God, because God flows through me. And out of me flows God. Mary was favored. God demonstrated his delight in Mary by giving her an incredible blessing of being the mother of Jesus Christ. Think about that. What happens when we're favored? When we're favored, it means that, you know, we're going to be blessed. Maybe blessed with fruit. Out of our life, people's lives are going to be impacted because we're letting God flow through us. God wants to demonstrate his delight in us by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to give us a whole other level of life. Can you imagine God's delight in our lives? Many times, one of the ways that I think God demonstrates the delight in you and I is because he's given us the fruits of the Spirit, and he gives us those as we empty ourselves out of the world. We begin being more patient people, more kind people, more loving people, more gentle people. We have self-control. We have long-suffering. There's not an there. God desires to delight 
in our lives. And what he does is he equips us to do that. He makes us into people that look like Jesus. We're not Jesus. We're not God, as other religions would attest. We're just people that are living for the glory of God. God wants to demonstrate his delight in you and I. I love this scripture, Proverbs 8.30. It says, I was daily in his delight. I was daily in his delight. This is a David saying that. He was daily in God's delight. The fact that he felt God in him every day flowing through him. He felt God's delight in his life. I know you've been there before in your life. I felt the same thing too. I put my head on the pillow sometimes and realized God used me today in a neat way to encourage somebody else, to help somebody else, or to share God's word with me. As I rest there before I go to sleep at night, I'm sitting there thinking, thank you, God, for the privilege. And in those moments, you know what I realized? That I believe I tried my best to please God today, and I believe he'd say, good job today. Because I tried that day and gave myself away. Made a difference for the glory of God. The favor of God. You know what the favor of God looks like in your life? It looks like you and I reveling in the love of a holy God. That my Father in heaven loves me. And I just want to bask in that love. I want to live in that love. I want to abide in that love. I want God's love to shower me every day. That I feel it, but I also realize that he's delighted in me. Because why? Because he made me. Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and so are you. God desires to do a marvelous work and let you delight. So many times I believe when we find ourselves in a situation where I'm not feeling the power of God in my life right now. I'm not feeling right now in my life victory. In fact, some days I feel the opposite of the spectrum. I feel like I'm defeated. I feel like I don't have what I need to be as a follower of Jesus Christ. God desires that we seek him every day. Where is he? Where is he? God also desires to shower his favor upon you and I. Let me tell you one little secret about that favor thing. God wants to hang out with people. God wants to hang out with people that want to hang out with him. Do you hear that? You know, it's the same in our life, too. We don't want to hang out with somebody that want to hang out with us. God wants to hang out with people that want to hang out with him. 